Hey y'all, I'm Mary Payne Gilbert, and this is my podcast, Pain in the Pod. As y'all know, I'm from the Deep South originally, and I love a good Southern Gothic crime story more than anything, really. Today's guest is Erica Kelly, and she's the host of one of my favorite Southern podcasts called Southern Fried True Crime. On Erica's podcast, she talks about various crimes in Southern towns, and we all know there's nothing like a good Southern story. Erica, welcome to the show. Hey there. Thank you so much for coming on to talk about my favorite subject. Well, thanks for having me. I love talking about this too. Um, tell me, tell me about your background and how you came up with the idea for such a unique and like super specific podcast. Well, thanks. Um, I have degrees in English and uh, history, but I never really used them. I somehow fell into accounting, but I took a new job closer to home. I'd been a commuter for ten years, and that's how I got into podcasts. Uh, you just get sick of the radio. But um, I took a job closer to home, but it was completely. I don't even know how to say it. It's completely foreign to anything. I really needed a creative outlet. And at the time I was going to start a podcast with another friend. She was an internet friend. It didn't work out because of time zones. She actually lives in Alaska. Oh, (laughs) it kind of gave me the, okay, I can do this, you know, courage to just, you know, try it. And I had kind of already had the idea of the name, which is always the Genesis for me. Um, even in episodes and stuff. Uh, I had been describing the podcast breakdown. Are you familiar with that one out of the AGC? Uh, yes. I had been describing that to people because I love it as, um, you know, Southern fraud cereal. And I was like, why am I not using that? That's great. So I kind of started from there and I spent six months working on branding, looking up cases, practicing recording. Um, it's safe to say I'm really glad I took that time and didn't just kind of start wild uh, but at the same token, I think by my second week of release, I was already on deadline. So you can be over prepared and still <laughs> constantly be on deadline. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you can I like Southern fried cereal. I think that's kind of cute. It is. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be too much of a copycat and I didn't know it at the time, but evidently there's um, a show on, I think ID channel called Southern fraud homicide, which that's good too. I'm glad I didn't know about it, but, um, I've had, a, I actually had somebody email me and say, I almost didn't listen. Cause I thought you were associated with that show. So I've never watched it. I can't say whether it's bad or good, but it was just really funny to me, but I was actually honestly surprised the name wasn't taken. It seemed kind of a easy fit and it almost rhymes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Now, where do you currently live? I live right outside of Nashville. Um, maybe like 45 minutes. I'm definitely middle Tennessee girl. Grew up here. Okay, good. I'm a Mississippi girl myself. So, okay, let's talk about the whole idea of Southern Gothic literature and how it relates to your podcast. Because you said you're an English major. I too Mm -hmm. was an English major at Ole Miss. And it's just, um, how to describe it? It's like a, the way that you tell your stories are very sort of slow and methodical. And it's very reminiscent to me of a lot of um, Southern shows, movies, books. And is, is the way that you tell your story and the tone of your voice and everything, is this by design to sort of kind of get the feel of the, of the South? In a sense, yes, very much. I'm very much influenced by um, all things Southern, obviously. But uh, I will say I have to work at slowing down my voice, as you might be able to tell. I actually naturally speak really quickly. And I notice that when I slow down, my voice actually lowers. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, people find that pleasing. But um, 
it's the way I like to hear a story. It's the way I like to read a story. Um, the whole way it's set up, I've never considered myself like an investigative podcaster. I'm not a journalist. Um, you know, I try not to look at it that way. I, I consider myself a storyteller and that's how I've tried to approach it. I mean, you know, from the beginning of my episode, pretty much what's going to happen. You don't know how exactly it's going to unfold, but that's kind of the way I wanted to, I like to start with a good one, two punch. If you know what I mean? Like get you something going right out of the gate that gets you your interest and then kind of go back and give the background. Yeah. I love the way you do that. And I also um, really like how at the beginning you tell the history of the town, you explain, you know, this, a recent episode you had, you were talking about Bristol, Tennessee being right there on the border of Bristol, Virginia. And we every year take our kids to camp in Alabama. And that's where we stop is Bristol, Virginia. And, and this last time we thought, you know, maybe we'll just mosey on over. So we moseyed on over to the little downtown area. And I did not really realize that exactly how you described it in your podcast is how it is. Like it's, it's a town divided by main street and one side's Virginia, one side's Tennessee. It's really cool. (laughs) The funny thing is I was talking to my husband about it, bragging that I managed to fit NASCAR into an episode because (laughs) he's a huge sports fan. And he then informed me that that's not sports, but that's another story. But he was like, did you mention that Tennessee tech and Virginia played there? And it was the biggest ever college watched game. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's not exactly my forte. Well, why didn't you ask me? And I said, well, I didn't know you had knew so much about Bristol history, but that, yeah, to me, like, um, it's kind of funny because I've gotten a couple of bad reviews saying that, that I don't need a geography lesson. It's boring, but I think it really puts you into the time and place, but also, um, so many of the cases I cover, they are in small towns and, you know, the, the politics and culture of a small town have a lot to do with, how a case plays out, how it's investigated, you know, how it goes through the court system. And I, I, I think it's important. Um, it's interesting to me. I, you know, I, I don't feel like I would know the people unless I knew where they came from. In a sense. Well, I think that's a um, very Southern trait and that you're always trying to make a connection. You know, eventually, if we talk long enough, we definitely know some people in common and it may take five minutes or it may take five hours, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, Yeah. Roots are a big thing. And I mean, I think Southerners do probably more than anybody say, where are you from? You know, how do you, you I know your mom there. I mean, that's, that's just kind of our thing, but yeah, it it kind of feeds into that, but I I really like it. And most of the feedback I get on the so-called geography lesson, you know, is really good. People enjoy it. Well, I like that. And then you tell something about the town, like just for that example with Bristol, you said about, you know, the NASCAR and the track and, and then people can kind of get a a sense of what this town is like. Is it, there was another one you did recently and you talked about a crime that happened in West Virginia and you explained that the town itself was only about, you know, 800 people. And that sort of really, Mm -hmm. you can really wrap your brain around if it's a huge bustling metropolis, like something like Nashville or Memphis, or if it's like a little bitty town and everybody knows everybody and how so, and how everybody doesn't know about this crime, you know, somebody definitely knows. Well, yeah. I mean, small towns, God, everybody knows everybody, you know, it's, it's amazing. And a lot of times I'll get tagged into a thread of something that's ongoing and they want me to cover the case. And I'm like, I'm going to have to let that percolate because Right now, it's all small town rumor, but you're right about the location. And even like when you're talking about big cities like Nashville, um, I've covered several cases that are around Nashville suburbs, and they're essentially a part of the bigger piece of the pie. You know what I mean? But um, totally different culture, different kind of 
investigation, everything's different. And I don't know that that's interesting to me. And also, you know, it says a whole lot when you come from a tiny town with one stoplight and as opposed to a huge town. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain that. I think it's really important. It's a whole different feel. Um, Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about crime, you really have to get the feel of the town to know how it's going to go with the police officers or all the lawyers know each other or, you know, your dad went to school with the judge or, you know, it's, it's all going to come down to that. For sure. And, um, okay. So we're speaking about, you know, Southern movies and Southern books. Um, I was doing some, uh, deep journalistic research on Twitter, which means I just looked it up on Twitter (laughs) and I saw that you have a Southern fried book club. I do. Um, early on, I'm trying to think when it was, I want to say it was spring last year. I was actually contacted by, uh, Karen Slaughter's people. They wanted me to interview her. They just, you know, they wanted a Southerner. I I think books are leaning towards that and I think it's great. So I did a few different interviews and the only negative feedback I got at all were from the true crime purists who didn't like that. I was interviewing fictional authors. Mm -hmm. I get that. And so I decided to make it a separate link. I mean, I'm sorry, a separate feed. But um, <laughs> now that I've gone full time and weekly, it's it's harder to get back to it. I've got a couple of interviews scheduled. I actually, the case I'm doing this week, I work directly with the publisher. They sent me the book on the case and I'm going to help promote it. And I mean, I, I honestly love working with authors that way. I mean, so many podcasters, you know, we, we depend on authors. We depend on long form journalists. I mean, a lot of court records are are fairly easy to get these days, but not all of them are. And sometimes I have to be really careful when I choose a book for a case to not get the author's tone mixed in with my own. So I may just flip through looking for court records that I couldn't get my hands on. But Mm -hmm. I love when I can work, you know, directly with an author and promote their work as well as my own. I think it's a really good relationship. So that's what Southern Fried Book Club is going to be all about. I am going to get it going again. I'm, I'm excited about that because I love working with authors. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I was, I wrote down, this, these are my qualifications for being president of the Southern Fried Book Club. <laughs> um, I went to Ole Miss and majored in literature and I did make an A in my grad level Faulkner class. Um, my grandmother was good friends with Eudora Welty. Oh, shut up. And my high school friend wrote The Help, and then my other high school friend directed the movie. Oh, my gosh. Really? I love The Help. I know. So I, I should be president of the Southern yeah. Fried Book Club. Those are my qualifications. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do love a good um, a good book more than anything. So I, uh, I was writing down my qualifications and hope that I could uh, be president and join in on that book club. Yeah, it'd be fun. I, you know, I mean, I, I I love books, and I would say that's probably the only side of down uh, downside of podcasting so far is less time to read. My reading is so much taken up with research. I'm trying to, as part of a self help thing, you know, have a book that has nothing to do with true crime to take my mind away a little bit every week, even if I can't keep up like I used to. But I mean, it's a big part of my life. It always has been. I know. I just read Isaac Mizrahi's uh, autobiography. It was great. Oh man, sometimes I love them and sometimes I get lost. Uh, yeah, it was really, it was really great talking about his growing up and, you know, wanting to be a Broadway star, but turned out to be a fashion designer. It was, it's, it was definitely, I mean, it's like, you know, um, uh, very, very Orthodox Jewish in Brooklyn. So very different than what I was used to. I loved it. That's good. That, yeah, that can usually hold my attention, especially then. 
Um, okay, so back to your podcast uh, off of Isaac Mizrahi. <laughs> uh, so where do you get your ideas for each show? Do you, like you said, people will reach out to you or mm-hmm. or does something just come to you and think, like, gosh, I remember this happened 20 years ago. I should look into it. Every, I mean, I started out with a good list of cases that I knew I wanted to cover. But um, from, I think, episode one, I have encouraged listeners to write in. And they do. And I'm telling you, that's where I find the jewels. Because not every case makes even my local news, much less the national news. And you, there's, it's just a treasure trove, especially in the South of things that, you know, I would never know about if people didn't email, you know, I always try to encourage them to send a link. Now I, I can't always take it. Sometimes there's just not enough information, even as interesting as it is, but I would say the majority of my cases are listener suggestions. Yeah. I would imagine that people have lots of opinions and they write in and they think like, Oh, and, and when we get to the end of this, I will share with you. I have a, uh, a family murder I can tell you about. Oh, gosh. Um, hold on. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Okay. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Okay, so we're back. So we're talking about where you get your ideas. Would you say it's 50-50 listener suggestions and 50% out of your own brain? You know, um, probably in the beginning, I would have said that, but it's almost 75-25 now. I think, uh, I'm trying to think of the last couple that I've done that were just straight my own. The Wooded Rapist out of the Nashville area, I forget what I was looking up one night and stumbled across. a. Um, I think it was an article out of the Nashville scene. It was like, why have I not ever covered this. I mean, when I, and I started looking around and no other podcast had ever covered it. And I mean, he was a prolific rapist that went free for 14 years. And it, it's amazing to me that there wasn't more national attention. So sometimes I do come across things organically, but I'm telling you, listeners are a treasure trove. I have an email file where, I mean, a lot of times I'll get one and just quickly Google it and be like, Oh my goodness. And go ahead and start a Dropbox file for it and reach back out to the person in case they have a personal connection to the case. Um, not everybody does. Sometimes it's just a case they want to hear. Uh, but yeah, I, the majority of my cases now are coming from listener suggestions, but there's, that can be a double-edged sword because a lot of people want to hear, um, I, for instance, I get asked to do, uh, the, the Christian Newsom case out of Knoxville. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, tell me what it is and maybe I'll remember it. Extremely gruesome case of a couple that were carjacked and tortured. And I won't even get into all of that. I mean, uh, it's kind of settled. It's, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if people reach out just because they want to hear the gruesome and that bothers me a little bit. It's, it's a case to me, I need a hook for the case. There's gotta be some sort of injustice or problem or reason. You know what I mean? Like I need to find something to get passionate about and that, you know, sometimes that just comes down to that's not interesting to me because it's just gruesome for the sake of being gruesome. Um, Other times they'll ask for cases that are so huge, so popular. I'm not really interested in covering it like Kaylee Anthony, Casey Anthony. Um, Yes. Southern, certainly. But I don't think I have anything new to add. And if I don't have anything new to add, it just doesn't interest me. So that's, that's probably the only 
downside of listener suggestions because then they're like, well, why not? Why won't you do it? And, you know, you can explain nicely that it's, you know, it's just not my thing. But yeah, for the most part, I get the coolest cases just on a random email from somebody. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, what, what is it do you think that it is about Southerners and Southern stories that make them so rich and so layered? I mean, just the ones that you tell and the ones that we read, I don't know. It's it's so hard for me to describe it as a Southerner myself, that what makes the Southern stories just so good? I think it's got to do with, it's kind of the history of storytelling that starts off with like, you know, back in the old days of verbal history of storytelling. Um, I think I'm still, my old promo is still running around here somewhere that I did over a year ago. I really need to update it. But I described it as, you know, sitting next to a fire, chatting with a friend. And that's kind of, I mean, it's very different. You know, I write in a narrative format. It's not a chatty podcast. And it's extremely different to write to speak than it is to write and read to write, to read, excuse me. And, um, I try to keep that in mind and make it feel like I'm talking to you conversational, you know? Um, and I think that's what makes it Southern or makes it more Southern and relates to that is that a lot of Southern writers and storytellers like that, they, they, they do that intentionally. They're talking directly to you. It makes it more personal. I was just in Mississippi uh, this past weekend for a family wedding, and I was a guest on a radio show. It was called Super Talk Mississippi. And it was interesting because she said, you know, the whole topic was about what questions do you ask to get more information from people? And it would be different, right? If it's just a friend or if it's like someone you're romantically involved in or if you're just being polite. And we got into this whole conversation about how Southerners do this, how you when you first meet somebody like up here where I live in DC, the first question is always, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And in Mississippi in the South, the question is always going to be, oh, where'd you go to school? Mm-hmm. Oh, I knew your brother knew my uncle, you know? And I think a lot of that, it's the familiarity. It's the, it's the, it's the ties that bind. It's the, it's the thing that weaves us all together. I think that's what makes the stories also rich and layered. Oh, I completely agree. And we're really big on our regions too. I mean, you can be from Tennessee, but I think I specified right when you asked me, I'm from middle Tennessee. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You know, those those are the roots that that bind. You know, there's a big difference between being from East Tennessee and Middle Tennessee. Nothing against East Tennessee. But I mean, if you talk to somebody from Tennessee and they, you know, they tell you exactly where they're from, you know, they have a they know exactly what you mean. They know the mindset. Right. Yes. Right. It's like a, people from Mississippi, they say they're from the Delta. That's completely different than I'm saying I'm from Jackson. They look at me being from Jackson as I, I'm doing air quotes, big city, you right. know? I, yeah. It, you're right. That's, that's an interesting point too. Um, Okie dokie. We're going to take one more quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. According to studies, less than 13% of all inventors who hold a U.S. patent are women. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of their white counterparts. But we can fix that by increasing participation in innovation and patenting by underrepresented groups. It would quadruple the number of American inventors and increase annual GDP by almost $1 trillion. Invent Together is a coalition of organizations, companies, universities, and concerned citizens committed to ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to invent and patent. Because the more diverse the American patent system gets, the stronger and more successful our nation will become. 
What can you do to help diverse inventors patent and unleash economic opportunity? Find out at inventtogether.org. Learn more and take action today. Okay, recently I heard you mentioned on My Favorite Murder. Now, I went to their DC show. I love those girls and I've stopped short of, you know, like um, begging and sending creepy fan mail to try to, to get them on here. Was that just like a huge thrill for you or do you know them personally? No, I don't know them personally. It was a shock. Um, I woke up, you know, I tend to be a night owl and now that I'm, I'm doing this full time, I kind of keep my own hours. I'll probably be up till two or three in the morning working and writing. So that doesn't mean that I'm up at six or seven when other people are. And I kind of woke up to about 12 missed text messages and a couple of calls, people freaking out. And I was like, wait, what? And, <laughs> um, and that's the other thing about podcasting. You don't have as much time to listen. And I, you know, sometimes I'll go several weeks before I can get a chance to get to them, but it was a huge honor. It was really funny. Cause I think, um, I think it was Georgia that kept calling it Southern fried chicken. <laughs> and my friends were all like retweet, say this. And I'll just put something funny about it. And it's like, you can call me Southern fried chicken. If you want, I don't care. Just call me something. But then actually I found out the next week, again, before I ever got to hear it, that she corrected it on their corrections corner. So apparently somebody had written in and said, hey, you got her name wrong. But that was, it was an honor. You know, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're the big guys out there, the big guns. And I mean, just a mention on their show can propel you so much. My numbers increased drastically and especially my social media traffic after that. I bet it did. I think, I don't know if she said Southern Fried Chicken. I think she may have said Southern Fried Crime. And then she said she, that and then I think at one point she did laughingly say Southern Fried Chicken. But <laughs> either way, if you if you search Southern Fried Crime, I'm one of the first that will come up, I would hope. <laughs> yes. Yes. I um, When I heard her say that on there, I was like, oh my gosh, that's exciting. And then I know that... Uh, Sheila Wysocki, who I have interviewed of Without Warning, she's quite a fan of yours as well. I adore Sheila. I worked with her on the Lauren Agee case that I did. Um, it was just a really, really great relationship. We're the kind of women that really can bounce ideas off each other. And it's it's been incredible. And I love what she's doing. Now, that's actual investigative. That's, you know, you've got a real life private eye taking you through the steps of the case. Like I, you know, I thought I did a good job covering Lauren. I, you know, I stand by everything I said and <laughs> it almost feels like a validation to hear her experts on there than talking about things that I talked about. But um, yeah, she's incredible. She's a powerhouse. She is. And she has that other podcast called uh, broke, busted and disgusted or something like that. <laughs> yeah. With the other guy. Yeah. 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 She, she's a really, really interesting lady. Uh, now, do you ever hear from anyone mentioned on your podcast? Like, I know you've talked to Sheila about the Lauren aging case, but do you ever hear from other people or do you ever hear from a family who said, I heard you cover my family's case? Um, I don't think I've ever had a family member. I mean, generally, if um, sometimes I'll reach out in the beginning. It kind of depends on the case. If it's still an open case, and there's not a lot of information, I will reach out. Um, it's tricky working with family. Sometimes they want you to cover it and sometimes they don't. You, you just never know what you're going to get. Unfortunately, I've heard from people that were rather, I don't know how, I, I got, I'll put it this way. I got a couple of death threats after the Andrew Lewis case. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it was a touchy situation. It had, you know, it was only about, I think a year and a half old when I covered it. And, um, I mean, he was shot in the back of the head and they let the guy claim self-defense. I mean, at the very least it could have been, he could have been charged with involuntary manslaughter. The case was just 
completely and totally mishandled. But I was a little bit more naive at the time about like my Facebook group. And I kept my profile, the Erica Kelly profile public. Um, I use a pseudonym. So that profile is strictly for the podcast. And I didn't think a thing of it. And before I knew it, I started getting some really nasty messages. And it was from his friends. It was never directly from him. I also, I re-released the episode this year on the anniversary of his death just because the family wants justice and they're ignoring them. They, you know, they refuse to investigate. They refuse to do anything. And that really bothers me. He deserves justice. And when I re-released the episode, I actually heard from a journalist who was mad. I think he was the first person to write about the case. Um, But there was two or three other ones besides that. But I worked on that case for six months. I worked with his family. I mean, it took, it took months to, to, you know, to talk people into talking to me on social media and getting to his friends and people like that. So I just ignored that email. (laughs) I mean, I appreciate the fact that you scooped the case, but that's all he seemed to care about. And I really cared about the family. I really cared about the truth. And his email kind of got my Southern temper up just for that. Like, is that all you care about that? I, you know, and I actually did quote him. I credited his name within the episode because he was the first to write about the case. And I firmly believe in credit where it's due and in citing your sources. So I did actually cite him, but I, I mean, you just never know how people are going to act. Yeah. The death threat things, that's kind of scary. Have you ever had any other reactions like that? Cause that's. No, I mean, you get the occasional nasty email, but um, that was really the only one that was that bad. And you know, it upset my husband and, I learned a lot. Let's put it that way. I, I put some ground rules down and got really careful about my group, got some moderators. I stopped making my profile public as much as I want to be accessible. I just realized it wasn't safe. Yeah, it was It was, It was. was a lot to learn. And I, it was really just intimidation. I don't think they meant anything by it, that they were going to actually do anything. But um, I mean, intimidation works, you know, I'm not going to, if anything, it worked in a way of I'll never back down off that case. Um, yeah, right. Angry. Um, don't don't come at me for some, telling the truth, you know. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely it was strange. But I think for the most part, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but I know that I come off as very much a straight shooter, possibly even abrasive. So I don't get the kind of mail that I know my friends do, that are maybe a little bit more. They don't give their opinion as much, or I don't. I don't know how else to say that. You know, they're a little bit more careful with that, and you know, I, I get hit a lot for giving my opinion on the podcast, but in my mind, I don't know why you would have your own podcast without having an opinion. Anybody can, you know, look at Wikipedia if you want to know the details of a case. To me, it's about the storytelling and I do want to hear what a podcaster thinks. Um, If they've spent all that time researching it, then they've probably formed an opinion. But yeah, I don't get as much hate mail as my friends and in that sense of the, I'm pretty sure they know I'll clap right back. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And I think you're right. I think nobody wants to listen to a podcast of a pod a podcast, a podcast of somebody um, retelling a case and then just retelling it. And then the end, this is what happened. He's in jail. I mean, you want to hear the opinion. You want to hear mm-hmm. things that went on that maybe weren't right. That's why we listen to it. I, you know, so I firmly agree. And the only, I think the only downside of it for me is those legitimately my bad reviews in iTunes are, are that. They're about that. Um, she's too opinionated. She needs to leave her opinion out of it. She needs to, you know, then why do you want to listen? Just Google the case. Like, why are you even listening to a podcast? I don't understand that attitude and point of view at all. Um, my other bad reviews are, are almost always bigots. I mean that, you know, they don't, oh. 
they say I hate white men and I always laugh and say, well, my white husband would find that really funny, but (laughs) I really just generally hate murderers and rapists. But if that makes you think I hate white men, then maybe you're triggered for some weird reason because that's, I, I don't know, but you know, by and large, people are extremely kind and, you know, I've had people tell me, even when I disagree with your opinion, I respect the fact that you put it out there. Yeah. You know, I know that you, for, you you form that opinion from a good place. And that means a lot to me. I don't always agree with everybody. And you don't have to agree with me. That's fine. I just, I would prefer to be myself, you know? Yeah. But it, it, yeah, like you're saying, it's your podcast. So of course you can put your opinion out there and, you know, a lot of the people that you cover, they might be white men. So it's not that you hate white men. You hate what those white men did, whether they're white or whatever color they are. Well, exactly. And it's not like I've never covered um, people of color. I have. Um, I don't get that same kind. And I I don't know what these people are exactly wanting. Uh, I even got a nasty comment on the last domestic violence case I covered where a woman was like, men get hit too, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I am aware (laughs) domestic violence affects everybody. But I mean, unfortunately, the rate of which women are attacked and killed through domestic violence is much higher. And I'm, you know, that's one of my passions is to highlight cases like that. It's not that I'm ignoring that it happens in other demographics, but you know, it is that, it is that sense of the little smart Alex Southerner in me going, you know what, then go write a story about it. Yeah. Start your own podcast about it because I'm covering what I, and the other thing about that though, that I do find interesting is that, you know, men who are, abused, they don't come forward. You know, they don't press charges. So anybody want to hear a case like that, I would love to know of one that went through the court system. They're really hard to find. Um, Because after I've gotten that criticism, I'm like, okay, fine, I'll look for one. And, you know, the one case I think that I could say that I covered that a man was abused was the Zach and Addie episodes. And he ended up murdering her. But, you know, had that been, had the tables been turned and she snapped from the abuse, she would not be judged. But I've actually been accused of victim blaming just because I pointed out that she was abusive to Zach. But it was the truth. Uh, there were several witnesses to the, her abuse. And she wasn't just abusive to Zach. She was abusive to her friends. It's just, you know, she'd been through a lot. She'd been sexually abused. There's all kinds of reasons that people turn into abusers themselves, as we know. And I felt like I was telling the truth. And that that case is a hot button case because they don't necessarily, I think because he was a murderer, and because of what he did, nobody has any sort of sympathy or considers him a victim of abuse. And that's kind of what I point to when they say, well, you know, you don't cover a man that didn't. I'm like, yes, I did. But people don't want to hear it that way. It's also hard to find those cases, like you said. Yeah, they're very rare. And, you know, even when you can find them, they rarely go through the court system and they never, ever want to talk to the press. So, I mean, the statistics are coming from domestic violence counselors, not necessarily anything you could put your finger on. And yeah, again, I covered a huge one that ended up in murder that never would have even gone to trial because it was murder suicide. But um, yeah, people didn't look at it that way. There's, there's definitely a, um, a discrimination, if you will, against that, you know, they don't want to think of women as abusers and they are. Uh, Shelly Michael is a really good example of that. Uh, That's a pretty popular case. I did a two part episode on her murdering her husband. And as much as people kind of like to hear about women murdering their husbands, they don't naturally think of them as domestic abuse cases when in fact they are. Yeah. The ultimate uh, ending in death, you can't get, Mm -hmm. can't get worse than that. Domestic abuse involves, you know, it's not just about violence. It's about, you know, emotional 
violence. It's about control, you know, and (laughs) that's why men can definitely be victims as well, whether or not they're even touched, you know? Yeah. It's about control. Like you said, Mm -hmm. now you mentioned a a minute ago that you don't get to listen to as many podcasts as you would like. And I, you know, it's, it's very ironic that I start this podcast because I want to talk to podcasters about their podcasts. (laughs) And then I find myself doing so much research that I don't get to listen maybe like for fun as much as I did before. Um, Things that I'm just following that I'm people that I'm not going to interview that I'm just following and I'm trying, you know, how many hours are there in the day. But when you do get a chance, what podcast Mm -hmm. do you like to listen to? I was thinking about this and thought I'd give you a little bit of variety. Of course, we talked about Sheila's without warning. I mean, that's incredible if you want one from a professional standpoint, from a private investigator. Um, Two of my very favorite long-form podcasts are Gone Cold Podcast out of Texas and The Fall Line out of Georgia. Both of them work with families. They work with law enforcement, you know, and they pick old cases, forgotten cases um, in regards to The Fall Line, minority cases, you know, stuff people have either forgotten about or they never cared about to begin with. I, I think so much of both of those shows and enjoy them very much. Aside from that, I have general favorites that I skip around and, and love, but The Conspirators, I feel like that's one of the most unsung, cool podcasts out there. I mean, he does some true crime, but I mean, then he does myths and UFOs, just fun stuff. And then for fun, I have a friend that recently started a podcast called Trashy Divorces. Have you heard of this? <laughs> You know, I have, and I have that one on my, you know, on my, on my app, right? I subscribed to it and I, it came up the other day and I was like, what is this that I have subscribed to? <laughs> you should interview her. She's a good interview. She's fun to talk to. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, it's a chatty podcast, but it's not just celebrity gossip. They really do their homework, the history and it, it's all incredible. And then I love history podcasts. I love, uh, the dirty bits, Probably my best palate cleanser is a bigger podcast, Sawbones. Have you ever listened to that? No, Sawbones. It's, it's medical history. Oh. Um, the It's a husband and wife team. He's a comedian and she's a doctor. And they'll just choose something like, I want to say their first episode was on lobotomy and their tagline became, well, you know, when the end of the show is, and don't drill a hole in your head. It's just, <laughs> you know, they go through things in medical history. They're super interesting, but they also make it funny. That's funny. This this weekend, my brother-in-law, who's a doctor, he was asking me about podcasts and that I would recommend. And I said, well, you know, for you, I would say, did you listen to Dr. Death? And I was trying to think of ones with a medical mm-hmm. slant. And he was like, of course, like, duh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I could recommend, I could recommend <laughs> Sawbones to him. He would like that. Yeah. Well, and I was going to give you a couple too. Um, as far as like narrative format, you know, similar to mine, I love Once Upon a Crime. Esther's an amazing storyteller. I love um, Already Gone, Nina Instead. There's so many that are, you know, do really great work as far as storytelling. But again, I'm like you, you know, you get so immersed in it. I find that what I usually do is podcasts that I love, I'll, I'll let a few episodes build up. And then when I have time and I'm doing some kind of chore around the house, like cleaning out my office or cooking or whatever, I'll binge several episodes at once of a favorite podcast. I do that too. I did that with um, To Live and Die in LA. That's a really- I heard that one yet. It's on my list for sure. Did you do the or, uh, Root of Evil? Yes. Oh my gosh. I really needed a flow chart for that. Like I needed I a, a family tree to be drawn out for me because I kept going, now wait, this one was this one's mom, but this one was this one's, yeah. yeah. It, 
It was yeah, really, really, really crazy. I actually cleaned out my, my husband's office <laughs> that day. I'd been threatening to do it, and it's tax season, so it had to be done. But, I mean, yeah, I probably spent the entire, whatever, six, seven episodes they had at the time just riveted. It was great. And I love binge-worthy podcasts like that. Hell and Gone is another one. Have you listened to that one? No, Hell and Gone? Yeah, she's out of Arkansas, and it was a personal hometown case for her, but she's also a journalist. And it's funny, I've been told her accent is a little similar to mine. She's definitely got an Arkansas accent. And I love that she is straight up like, I am here to solve this case. A lot of podcasters, you know, they tiptoe around that because we get accused of thinking too highly of ourselves, like we're going to solve a case, which I don't, I don't ever think that because I don't generally investigate cases that are open. But um, I've heard other podcasters derided that way. And I love that she was just straight up like, no, this is why I'm here. I'm here to get to the truth. It's really great podcast. Okay. Now, see, now you're giving me so many more. <laughs> Did you listen to um, season two of In the Dark? Yes. I mean, that is in the Supreme Court right now. And, uh, he, well, and he was actually on my list forever and ever. I've had several people reach out and ask me to do it. And the minute they announced season two, I was like, well, I'm not covering that. <laughs> in the Dark is amazing. There's no, yeah, there's no coming back after that. I'm not going to try and cover it. Well, it's interesting when I was on that uh, radio show this weekend, she said, I know that in your podcast, you talk about true crime podcasts sometimes, but we're going to try to stay away from that because it's a show about you know, good things and happy things and all that. And I said, that's fine. And she said that someone else on her radio station had gotten in trouble because they gave an opinion on a, a very popular Southern podcast about a case. And I said, well, it must be in the dark, you know, Winona, Mississippi. Uh, and she said, I don't really know, but one of our hosts gave his opinion on it. And, it, you know, we were really not supposed to do that. And, and she said, so if you could just kind of steer away from that. And I was like, well, you want me to talk about my favorite things and my favorite, favorite things are true crime. Um, right. But she laughed later and she said, thanks for not getting too much into the murder stuff. But yeah, in the dark, that's, um, that's a, I guess a lot of people in Winona, Mississippi really do believe that Curtis Flowers is guilty and they don't like all this attention that's been put on yeah. it. But I mean, when you try somebody six, seven times, I mean, come on. No, I completely agree. Yeah, it's a fascinating and heartbreaking case. I know that. Now, tell my listeners what's coming up next for your podcast and how we can find out more about it. Let's see. This week, I'm covering a really famous, well, it's probably more regional famous. I didn't know as much about this guy. It's out of South Carolina, Larry Jean Bell. Have you ever heard of him? No. Really interesting guy. This was the one I told you. It was Arcadia Publishing actually reached out to me and she was an agent with SLED there that actually wrote this book. And so she had definite insider information and she went to court. And I mean, it's, it's really, really interesting case. I'm surprised it's not more well-known. Um, I've got that and a couple more things on the docket. I know I'm going to CrimeCon in June. So I've already got my New Orleans case ready for that week. Mm -hmm. Uh yeah, that I can't. <laughs> it sounds kind of funny. I, you would think that I have a list of these are the next six cases I'm covering, but honestly, they change week to week. Yeah. I might get you know a day into research and say, nope, I don't want to do this. I'm really finicky that way, so <laughs> you just never know. But um, as far as where to find me, I'm basically everywhere. Just search for Southern Fried True Crime. My Twitter handle, the best I could do was South Fried Truth, but I actually kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that yeah. too. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, yeah, I'm everywhere. And then my email, if anybody's interested in sending me a case, is southernfriedtruecrime at gmail.com. 
oh, yeah, that's good. Somebody sent her a case. Yeah. And then say you heard it from here, so I'll get some credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And everybody, take a listen to Southern Fried True Crime, and you will not be sorry. You'll get some good, um, some good true crime with a little bit of a Southern twist. Well, thank you, Mary Payne. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thanks.